I uh, was thinking earlier about this past week. I had several things scheduled. One of them was a hearing test. And um, my wife for years has told me I don't pay attention to her. And now I have um, clinical proof. There is a reason. I have a, um, a moderate hearing loss in mid-range, which is right where a woman's voice is. So, how many of you husbands have suffered that same loss? Oh, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, there's no malice on my part to uh, have selective hearing. It was just, it's God's gift. <laughs> you know, it's just, a, it's the way things are. So, um, yeah, that uh, that was one item. And I don't know, I, I'm coming down the, to, uh, you know, life at this point and thinking about whether or not I want to retire, whether I can retire, whether I should retire, whether I just need, need new tires. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking that maybe that's the last one is the best way to go, just get a new set and keep keep on going. So I'm glad that we have moved into this area. Um, I'm basically a metropolitan aborigine. Uh, we've lived in the metropolitan areas of uh, Fort Worth, Texas and uh, Salt Lake City, um, we're south of there, but also a metropolitan area. And then here in the um, northwest suburbs, uh, we lived in Buffalo Grove for about 20 years. And, uh, and then finally, we got to live in a terrible place in uh, the Black Forest of Germany. Um, you know, it's some, some people just have to suffer for Jesus, and I was glad that I was chosen, because that is, that's a gorgeous place to live, uh, right at the, at the base of the, the incline that begins uh, the Black Forest of Germany, in this extreme southwest corner. And um, I, I have to tell you one amusing incident, and it has absolutely nothing to do with my message this morning, but uh, our church there... <clears throat> has um, um, it's an English-speaking church. They're running. Uh, it depends on um, when school is in session because it's Black Forest Christian Academy is right there in Condon where the the congregation meets. And uh, we were having communion that Sunday. Uh, I was serve, serving um, when we left. I was serving as chairman of the elders and. So the elders are always expected to be there to help hand out the, the elements. And it's a, a, a basically a multi-denominational congregation. That's why it's called a fellowship and doesn't have a label on it. But we're believing, uh, Bible-believing with strong free church, Baptist, CMA, Roots, you know, all that. So I'm up in the balcony getting ready to serve and uh, decided that that morning they would have the prayer uh, for the blessing of the cup, and um, knowing that, that there would be sensitivities there for, um, you know, how he would word this, uh, one of the, the elders got stuck by praying for the cup, and he said, Father, we thank you for uh, this, um, this, um, and he was, I know what he was thinking, he was thinking, can I say juice? Can I, should I say wine? Because it's not wine, it's grape juice. 
And he said, uh, we thank you for um, this red liquid. <laughs> you know, and I, I tell you what, I, I enjoy that one, and I still do. I, I just shook my head. I looked, looked at my, my partner up in the balcony, who was also serving, and we've got a, a smile. You know, just, yes, Lord, thank you for the red liquid. Oh, goodness. Let me um, ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, let me also ask you to put your finger there, but listen to me because I want to read this text from a paraphrase. Now, um, you know, we go to seminary and get training in how to read um, uh, the New Testament in Greek. And then somebody goes and writes a paraphrase. Now, what that's all about, it's not a translation it, as such, except it's an attempt to bring it into the vernacular. And I'm all for bringing the scriptures into the vernacular as long as they're true. And I find um, reading a paraphrase like the message extremely edifying. Uh, sometimes we can get so stuck on, on hard phrases to translate, and you try to be honest with... Um, with the the original language and and give the um, you give the closest rendering possible, but then it's good to read something like the message and it gets the sense of it to us. So I'd like this morning just to read this from the message and uh, follow along if you choose. But put your uh, antenna out there for a good hearing or turn up the aid as the case may be. Verse twenty eight. Uh, excuse me, thirty eight. Later, a few religion scholars and Pharisees got on him. Teacher, we want to see your credentials. Give us some hard evidence that God is in this. How about a miracle? Jesus said, you're looking for proof, but you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to titillate your curiosity, satisfy your lust for miracles. The only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof. Jonah evidence. Like Jonah, three days and nights in the fish's belly, the Son of Man will be gone three days and nights in a deep grave. On Judgment Day, the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence that will condemn this generation because when Jonah preached to them, they changed their lives A far greater preacher than Jonah is here, and you squabble about proofs. On Judgment Day, the Queen of Sheba will come forward and bring evidence that will condemn this generation because she traveled from a far corner of the earth to listen to wise Solomon. Wisdom far greater than Solomon's is right in front of you, and you quibble over evidence. When a defiling evil spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul it can be devil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. On return, it finds the person spotlessly clean, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all move in, whooping it up. And that person ends up far worse off 
than if he had gotten cleaned up, in, as if he had never gotten cleaned up in the first place. Now, that's what this generation is like. You may think you have cleaned out the junk from your lives and gotten ready for God, but you weren't hospitable to my kingdom message, and now all the devils are moving back in. Well, I hope you find that uh, somewhat edifying. Um, it is often difficult for us to to, uh, to get the whole flow of Scripture and uh, and catch the catch the flow in context so that we we grab the message. And that's basically what I want us to think about um, this morning. I I don't always uh, follow a particular method for putting a sermon together. Uh, normally, you'll, you'll have an introduction, and then you'll have uh, a body of the sermon and an application at the end, and that's absolutely fine. And we're going to do that with the exception I'm going to put the application first. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, it's a wonderful thing, medications, but it dries you up. And you need to be dried up sometimes, huh? I want us to, I'm going to run, uh, run by a couple of lessons that I find this text to be saying to me. And that's really the purpose of, uh, of the scriptures anyway, is to, uh, is to build us up and to bring light into the dark corners of our souls and hearts and, and to provide, uh, I think, hooks, you know, to hang truth on for us. And so I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to um, bless the instruction of His Word to us and to make the applications that are necessary from this Word to your heart. Because if you don't get it, if you miss that link between the application and, and the hearing of the Word, you'll have come in vain and you'll just... You know, it'll just be an exercise in, in futility, and I don't want that. Uh, in fact, if, if we were in a classroom, we might say, okay, that's your homework. I want to hear next week from you. <laughs> what has God instructed your heart about as a result of hearing this text? Well, what is God teaching you? How are you growing? What is the lesson that's, uh, that's really been, been haunting you this week? So let me uh, uh, quickly give you a few of these, and then um, we'll come back and revisit them at the at the end. Um, and understand that these are the way that this text strikes me. Uh, first of all, I need to learn contentment. Contentment. This is in several levels. Um, God has revealed His Himself to us. And I, I need to be a better student of the Word, of what He has already said, and not always coming to Him and say, Lord, give me a new Word. Give me, give me a fresh Word. And He says, you know, have you, have you, have you seen all of these words? <laughs> Do you know these words? Uh, learn, learn contentment of, of my spirit to be able to rest in Him. Learn contentment in the area of, of what we have. Uh, don't buy into uh, uh, the clamor for more and 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 better all the time. 
Uh, A second lesson is that uh, I need to learn to reserve judgment, not judge other people's motives. We are so given to that, so human to do, and say, why are they asking me that? You know, what lies behind that? It must be, they must be having trouble at home. Um, she, she must have a problem with her mother. Uh, he is, you know, he's a firstborn. Uh, that must be, the, that must be what, what's causing this. Um, you know, and we do that. And, and it's almost second nature to us. But I assure you, it's not a divine nature <laughs> that that comes from. To, to judge other people's motives. We do it in, in our husband-wife connections and we do it with neighbors we do it with friends if there's a word two words that I would say stop it (laughs) Um, reserve judgment Um, and also reserve judgment with God don't prejudge what he's trying to tell you as if he doesn't love you or as if he doesn't have your concern number one in his heart and mind third Seek God in his kingdom and do it with a whole heart. I read that in the text of some of the songs uh, we were just singing about giving God everything. Everything. And uh, seek him first with with a whole heart and a pure heart. Another lesson, uh, we should train up our minds and hearts in spiritual wisdom and discernment. Uh, you, You are not born spiritually smart. Uh, it takes um, it takes some real training and discernment. We um, we have met several uh, different kinds of leaders, and um, uh, a leader who is capable in one area, uh, for instance, he may be a real uh, real driver. You know, let's get things done. Um, show me show me the list of successes so I can. I can placard those to the board of trustees or however the, the manager impressing his boss and however that works. But sometimes, um, and I know several, I, could, I have some faces with this, they're, they're intellectually smart, they are a driven, uh, their company smart, but they are not people smart. <laughs> Nor are they emotionally smart. And they need you know, we all have blind spots, and we need to to be open to uh, how how can I demonstrate um, spiritual wisdom as I as I face life and I make decisions. Uh, another area of a lesson is that don't be afraid to go against the culture, and we'll see this in a minute, uh, where that seems to be the motive behind. What comes from these Pharisees? Uh, show us a sign, they say. Very typical of their culture. And sometimes we get our cues from the culture, right? Young people, was that true? Your peers? Um, I remember when our daughter, who's now 39, um, was in high school and uh, just getting past junior high and she was talking about um, uh, how she was going to uh, set the styles. <laughs> she wasn't going to take her cues from the, her peer group and what was cool. She was going to be the leader of the pack. I, and I like that, that chutzpah. That's, that's a lot of moxie. Um, 
but just because it's it's the popular thing to do, or because somebody else says that um, that's the end thing for you, doesn't mean that that's the direction you need to go. Particularly if God is instructing your heart to be bold for Him, shall we say? Well, what about evangelism? I have a good good friend who he and his wife have given their lives uh, to the mission field in uh, in the Philippines, and uh, he is he is such an evangelist. That is his that is his gifting. He and I tell you what, he is not afraid of anybody at any time, anywhere. He's about this tall. <laughs> And and he will get in your face. And if 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 he were here and getting to know you in a one-on-one conversation, before five minutes had passed, he'd know whether or not you were a believer, and you would be telling him your story of faith. And whether you're a believer or not, he's going to get that part of the story, and then he's going to be uh, revealing the story of the cross to you, so that you might might come to him. And in an email I got from him this week. He was wondering whether or not that was, uh, you know, whether you could actually believe what he had just read, that sometimes God just drops a person who's hungry for salvation. He drops them right in your path. And he said, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't want to believe that. And as kind of an ancillary uh, conversation arose later in the week where uh, they were um, just casually talking about um, to a lady that they, he did not know uh, that they were having a, a kind of a home Bible meal group at their, at their house and she said, I would love to come. <laughs> and he says, well, all the invitations are, are already issued. And he, she goes, oh. He, and he said, am, am I hearing right that, that you really want to know about God? Is that, is that what... what you, she said, that's it. That, that's what I want. He said, you want to know how you can come to have faith in, in, in Christ in a personal relationship? Is that what you want to know? She said, yes, I would be very interested in that right now. <laughs> and he said, okay, <laughs> we can do that. And we'll make room for you uh, in, in, in whatever way we can. And he was just saying that, you know, here, here is a, a, a time where he he exercised some discernment, but he was going against the culture as well to say, you know, that might not be cool in, in uh, you know, well, you've got to respect everybody's opinion, don't you? And give them space. But his philosophy is that eternity is approaching at a breakneck speed and people who are lost need the gospel. And so whatever the culture says uh, is only secondary to what, what God has commanded and put on his heart. Another a lesson. Know that judgment is coming. Know that judgment is coming. Receiving and believing Christ as God's provision for us is the only safeguard we have to get through. And... Uh, that is part of the message that Jesus is trying to impress upon these Pharisees as they come to him and say, show us a sign. Now, let's think about that a minute. I think a prevailing question is, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? 
First of all, the scripture uses a term, uh, the gospel writers, both um, Luke and Matthew, record that Jesus uses the term and he calls them this adulterous generation. Now, don't pass too quickly across the word adulterous. It means exactly what that word means in English and in Greek, except it's packed with more meaning in the Greek language. It's not just the physical act of committing adultery. It is, it is God's way of, of speaking to the hearts of these people. God is, is the God of Israel. God is the one who has come as a, a, a bride um, is pursued by the groom. And God is the picture of the groom who, who comes and woos the bride who forms a relationship with her, and then she goes off chasing other men. What book in the Old Testament is, is the full description of that? The minor prophet, the Hosea. And um, the sin of Israel is the, is the sin that Israel has prostituted herself. She has become unfaithful. And all that is in that, including uh, the, the deeper motives that cause a person to, to give up uh, allegiances and to give up walking in purity and to give up um, the uh, um, allegiances of, of faithfulness that are wrapped up in that word. And Jesus says, this adulterous generation is always going off asking for signs. Now, at this point, I assure you, that had I been there, I would have come up with something like this. Show me a sign. I said, oh, how about that one? Do you like that sign? Or, uh, how about this one? Stop it. <laughs> or maybe, uh, I like this one. If you, if you don't think of cars, but you think of two camels. I think that could be, that could be an important sign. Show me a sign. I'm going to leave them there as a reminder that uh, at, this, at this level, this is the human level of asking for signs. And Jesus says, uh, this adulterous generation is always looking for another sign. And standing right here in front of you, Jesus says, is the, is the greatest sign of the kingdom of God that you're ever going to see. And yet you will not believe me. I am the sign. My life is the sign from God to you that there is hope in him and that you should be faithful and turn your hearts toward him in, re in full repentance. Now, Paul comes at that almost in a, in a sideways in the book of Galatians. And he says, who are you? Who has bewitched you? Who has put the hex on you? I stood before you and I declared Jesus to you. I placarded him. I put him up on this big signpost. And yet you've walked away from that. What is the matter with you? Jesus comes to this similarly. And he said, I'm not going to give you a sign. That Matthew says. Luke says, well... There's a little more to that as well. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm not going to give it to you in the way you think you're going to get one or you want one. 
but I'm going to give you the sign of, no, of Jonah. What about Jonah? They would know the history and the story of Jonah. How, how God had, had sent him, had, had burdened his heart to go declare the judgment of God upon the great city of Nineveh. And uh, Jonah went immediately, right? Uh, well, not exactly immediately. He, um, he went down and um, bought a ticket in the opposite direction. Ever been there? <laughs> I've been on that ship. <laughs> um, I really struggled with the call of God early in my life. And I didn't want to go. And uh, I, I headed off in a different direction. And I thought, no, Lord, there's got to be a better way to make a, make a living, <laughs> even make an impression, um, than, than to do your bidding. How about this, God? If I, if, if I give you whatever I have left over at the end of the day, if I, if I go ahead and take the gifting you've given me and I move off towards engineering school, and I could, be, I could do engineering, and I could, I could make a decent living, and then I could become involved. And that would be fine if that was God's will for my life, but it wasn't. What he, does, what he wanted from me was not um, my, my leftovers. He wanted my life. And he wanted me to be invested in, in a way, a full-time ministry, that those of you who have secular jobs make possible. I'm indebted to all of those many partners that I've had over the years that God has called to secular work and then investing their lives. But what if that's not God's life, will for you in your life? Then you better take him seriously. And, and Jonah was one of those who, um, who went off in the opposite direction. You know the story. Storms came up on the seas. And uh, uh, he knew that he was the cause of it, that, that his running away from God. God was trying to get his attention. But at risk were the sailors who were on the ship with him. And finally came down to they threw him overboard. A great fish swallowed him and landed him on the shores as he was on to be on his way to Nineveh. Now, I am reminded as I, I read that story, not to get too proud about who I am. If God could use some fish vomit, he could use me. Yeah. And I think, I think that Jonah went as a changed man. You spend three days inside the belly of a large fish, and the gastric juices are going to bleach you a, a tad. I think he, he was a, a strange-looking character to go and preach the gospel. That, and and it, was the, it was the judgment portion of that that he was preaching to Nineveh, either repent or God is going to destroy you. What, what you have been about has come up to God. He is in full knowledge of all that is, is in your hearts and, and your lifestyles. And God is not pleased. And the God of Israel is going to judge you. And I'm happy about that. <laughs> That's what Jonah's attitude was. Remember, he went to, up on the side of the hill. He was going to watch God do it. You know, zap him. And, uh, and, and the Ninevites, what did they do? They believed his message and were spared. God held back his wrath. And Jesus says, Oh, you 
adulterous generation at the judgment day, the Ninevites are going to be present to speak out against you and your, your foolishness for rejecting the sign that is standing here before you, who is a better sign than Jonah was. And he says, he brings a, another uh, image to their minds. He says, or take the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, who came from her country to Israel to discover what had already reached her ears about a very wise king who was perhaps the wisest king, the best demonstration of wisdom in the ancient world, King Solomon. And she came to seek out Solomon, for she was impressed by the wisdom that he displayed. And if you read particularly the early life of Solomon, you know that he didn't make claims for himself. He made them for the Lord, that this is how God had invested in the life of Solomon to give him wisdom. He gave him great wealth and power in addition, but he had asked wisely that God would give him wisdom. And I, I used to think, well, you know, if I were given the same opportunity to choose any gift from God, would I have chosen wisdom? I don't think I'd have thought of it. And then I was reading the Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 4. And, and uh, Solomon, who wrote these Proverbs, says, um, Son, my, oh my son, seek wisdom. And I thought, well, well, if Solomon is the son, who was telling him to seek wisdom? It was his father, David. Well, how did David know that he needed wisdom? By experience, folks. <laughs> Do you and I need wisdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the question that, that is really before us is um, Jesus standing there saying to these Pharisees, I am God's sign. What are you going to do about it? What will you do with me? Do you need wisdom? No, you need regeneration, first of all. And you need to come just like they did at Nineveh. You need to repent of your sin and come. Now, the question also is, what kind of sign did, do you think would be necessary, would be needed to convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced? You know, one of the first rules of counseling is that you cannot help someone who doesn't want to be helped. I declare to you that there is absolutely no sign that Jesus could have done for these Pharisees. That would have impressed them. Enough to say, you are right, we embrace you. We declare you to be our Messiah. And so Jesus said, then the next phase for you is the judgment. And this will be laid on your account. You have rejected God's sign and God's favor. And then the Pharisees in this, in this passage, they also want to know the validation. How do we know that what you say is true? 
If they had been sincere, that would have been one thing. But surely it is, you know, let's, let's give them a little bit of credit. In their, in their history, they would have seen various times when, when having a sign would have been a, a big help, don't you think? I mean, let's go back to Moses. Moses is standing in front of Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who are you to say, let my people go? I, I'm using this, this force. Some scholars have said as many as two and a half million people. And Moses says, let, 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 our, let these slaves go. Done with the free uh, workforce. And let them go. And, uh, and Pharaoh says, no way. That's a loose translation, okay? Um, and, and so, Pharaoh, who would have, I think, been duly impressed with some miracles, some signs, was given an opportunity to experience that. Frogs. You know, I, we need, you know, can you turn, can you make, make frogs appear? Now, I should have brought you my sign. I have a sign from Germany. It's a, it's a frog crossing sign. They literally do have signs for, you know, I saw a, a turtle crossing over in Algonquin. There's a sign over there, turtle crossing. Uh, and, but there in Germany, we have a frog crossing. And I think, you know, they would have erected a lot of those signs during this plague of frogs and lice. And, and then they came to turning... The, the Nile River into blood and finally the death of the firstborn and finally Pharaoh says I've had enough okay you can go but you have to you know you have to only go a little ways out and they did they went all the way to, uh, to the promised land the point was Pharaoh was kind of impressed by this sign um, or let's take Elijah uh, Elijah came in to confront Ahab. Ahab had had been very tolerant about allowing Baal worship to exist within the, the confines of Israel. And so Elijah said, God is going to speak judgment to you, and for three and a half years, you're not going to have a drop of rain on this entire land. Now, God knows how to hurt a God who is a puny uh, pretender of the throne. It was not just God against Pharaoh. It was God against the gods of Egypt that was seen here in Exodus. And it's not just God uh, against Ahab. It's God against the, the, the gods who are being worshipped in the land. In this case, Baal or Baal. And uh, do you remember what he was the god of? Baal, the Canaanite god, was the god of fertility and rain. So he was, he, he was declared to be impotent, incompetent, for three plus years while God allowed drought to come upon the land. Now, how is it that God, in one case, would give a sign, and in another case, he says, no. Have you ever put out... A note to God. God, I need you to appear in a sign. Okay. I'm not sure this is the only way to deal with this, but this is the way I'm going to um, suggest to you today. Remember that here, Jesus says there's no sign given to you because you are unbelieving. And you will not be convinced anyway. 
But there are times, I know, because I've done it myself, when I am uncertain about which direction God wants me to go. And I pray, Lord, would you open a door? That's the sign of the open door. (laughs) And I'm saying, Lord, I'm not intelligent enough to figure out how, if you open more than one door, I'll, I'll not know which one to go through. So could you just open one door for me and then get my feet moving in that direction? And, and show me the joy and the blessing that comes from being obedient to that. Now, I think that's, a, that's the different kind of, of asking for a sign than the Pharisees. I am believing in God to reveal himself and all in my weakness of faith, I believe yet help thou my unbelief. And I'm asking God to make it very clear so that I don't misunderstand. So it does matter about the heart. But Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, I'm standing before you as God's proof, and yet you reject me. This confirmation of a sign, it should not have been such a mystery to these Pharisees. I mean, here was Jesus. He came to fulfill the law. He had already shown himself and would continue to show himself greater than nature, greater than um, than the demons. He would even come to the point where he would, he would prove himself conqueror of death itself. And so in the uplifted cross, he said, I will draw all men to me. And yet there was, not everyone believed. There are some who say, well, that's not convincing enough. I had a young man say to me years ago, he said, if Jesus would just come back today, and, and, and stand in front of me and confront me, I would believe. I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, and, and furthermore, he's not coming back that way. He has said so himself. The claims of Jesus Christ are written across the, the pages of human history, but also, even more important, they're recorded in his word. The, the issue is, will we believe him? Will we take him at his word in trust and in in obedience. There was a a Pharisee, according to John, he records it in John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, there was a Pharisee, if you take it just on face value, who, who understood something about the nature of what Christ was doing. No one can do these signs unless he comes from God. The problem was Jesus was standing before them as a representative of of, of God's kingdom. Thy kingdom come. I am the initiator of that kingdom. I stand before you as the door, as the way. And yet, there were some who did not believe Could this not have been echoes in the heart and mind of Jesus as he stood and heard? What kind of sign would impress you? How about, how about if I were to stand at the top of the pinnacle of the temple and leap off? Would that impress you? If I landed safely? No broken bones? No concussions? No bleeding? Does that sound vaguely familiar? 
as in the early part of Jesus' ministry, he was, he was taken, driven, Mark says, into the wilderness. And there, tempted of the devil. Jesus could have revealed himself in this way, but he did not. What sign do you need that God has already that delivered on, not already delivered on? He asked that we believe him. And when we come to God and we say, can you, can you convince us, God, that you are for real, that you are authentic, that your authority comes from above? He gives us his word. Is your heart strangely stirred when you read God's word? That's, that's no happenstance that that happens. Are you convicted when you read God's word and you line up your life against what the word says? That is part of God's plan. Does His Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? I think every human being goes through some point, every Christian Christian human being, still living, um, goes through some point where you wonder, oh, what if all of this were just fabrication, if there was no truth to it? And then your mind relaxes and you go, no, no, I can't explain. I can't explain who Jesus is. I can't explain the growth of the church. I can't explain this burning that is inside of me when I think about spiritual things. I can't explain the transformations that I have seen in others, in in, in grandparents, in neighbors, in believers in the church. I can't explain that. It must be the power of God. Christ must be for real. And then you come to the point of saying, what about me? One of the most humbling things, of course, for all of us to face is that other people are influenced by us for positive or for negative. And when, when we are on track with God, when, when our hearts are being filled, in the process of being filled with his love and the joy of the Lord. Uh, we're, we're kind of like magnets. We draw others to the Savior. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Our lives are supposed to be so winsome and so, so transparent that when others look at us, they don't just see us. They see the Father who is in heaven. And they bring glory to his Son, Jesus. And that's what we want. That's the Holy Spirit shining his light through you in his world. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we have such a need to, uh, to live out the lessons of Scripture. Father, I pray that you would uh, teach us contentment. Help us to focus on, on what we have in Christ. To be thrilled with um, with the opportunity that we have of giving away um, the joy, the money, the possessions, the time um, to share that with others. Help us to reserve our judgment, not to judge you falsely and to judge others falsely. Help us to seek the kingdom, to seek the kingdom of God, to seek Him first. Help us to open ourselves to be trained. Train us up in wisdom and discernment. 
Help us to lean solidly and wholly upon the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to be afraid of, of going countercultural because we tend to baptize so quickly our culture and, think, and pass it off as being Christian, and it is not. Help us to stand for the Word of God. Help us to stand in the Spirit of God. Help us to take the responsibility that Isaiah placed upon Ahaz to, to say, stand, stand up, stand tall, stand for the Lord. And then, Father, help us to, to make plans now for that great day of judgment to having dealt with, the, with who Jesus is, for having said yes to Him and no to our sins and ourself, to be prepared to know that uh, we're not going to have to uh, have the witnesses of the Ninevites or of the Queen of Sheba to uh, appear in judgment to speak against us. But there will be thousands and thousands who stand with us, who sing praises, who will honor the one who stands in our place, who is our Savior, our Advocate, the Lover of our souls, our Redeemer, our Eternal Judge. And may we honor you this week. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.